The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Today's sermon is against all odds, and my question for you is, what are the odds of us being here? And so we're going to talk about odds a little bit. The first one is, what are the odds of winning the lottery? Did anybody buy a lottery ticket today? Has anybody bought a lottery ticket this week? Darn it, I was trying to get you so I could have to counsel you out of your gambling issues. Somebody in here did. Now I have to counsel you about lying, because somebody in here must have bought a lottery ticket. So listen, 14 million to one. If you buy a lottery ticket, your odds of winning the jackpot's 14 million to one. That's pretty large odds, but people buy them all the time, hoping to win. So the odds of us, I'm 42 years old. I just had my birthday last week. Me and Kyle did. Uh, he's 45, but he looks great with better hair than me. But hey, we both have share the same birthday, September 3rd. The odds of my wife and I in our 40s having a newborn baby would peg somewhere around negative 1,000%. But we now have a five-month-old that we got as a newborn that we adopted because God had a different plan than what we had. And so those were the odds of that. Uh, the odds of my son Jackson uh, ever beating me at basketball uh, would be even lower than us adopting. And I found out about two weeks ago that the odds of me beating him at basketball have dramatically swapped. <laughs> He's getting older and stronger and more athletic, and uh, he talks a big game, and now he can actually back it up, which he could never do before, so it's changing quickly. Uh, odds make life feel like things are just insurmountable. Like, you know what? The odds of that actually happening, the odds of me getting that promotion, the odds of me getting that job, the odds of us working out our differences in this marriage, the odds of us X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, the odds of me making it at my apartment, the odds of me overcoming this addiction, the odds are stacked against me. Ever doing something great of God ever using me and having a big destiny for me, of something really significant happening, the odds just feel stacked against me, against my life, against my marriage, against my kids, against me. A lot of times we can feel that way. And so we're going to talk about the odds of this church even happening, because we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Now, we're going to break down and get into some actual odds here. So we're going to start off with the odds of you being born. Does somebody want to guess what are the odds that you, specifically as a person, would be born? One in seven billion. Jason Tompkins with the first one. Do I have one in eight billion? Anybody else have a guess? One in 20 billion. Robert, you're a genius with numbers. One in seven? One in seven billion. What'd you say, Jesse? One in six million. One. One in one. There you go. One in eight trillion. Okay, I'm going to give you this number. Okay, get ready to have your minds completely and totally absolutely blown, okay? If you have a hat on, take it off. I don't want your hat to get damaged. Listen, it says, the odds of the actual you being born, which means that your mother and your father, you know, what needs to happen there as far as biologically for the two pieces to connect perfectly, to only make you, nobody else, okay? I had a slideshow, but it's not working, so we're not going to do that. But just use your imagination. This is what we're talking about, okay? It's very specific to make you. It's one in 400, what? Trillion? Qua 
quadrillion. If you're a kid, you know, you're always like, oh yeah, well, I one, I one up you, well, I two up you, well, I infinity you. Quadrillion is pretty close to infinity. It's one in not just a quadrillion, but 400 quadrillion. So what's a quadrillion? We don't even understand that number. So I'm going to give you guys some examples. The first one is if I took this dollar bill, this one dollar, and I sat it on this stage like that, boom, laid it flat, and I stacked another one, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. Guess how tall 400 quadrillion dollars would be? In fact, let's just make it easy. Guess how tall one quadrillion dollars would be? Very tall. Here you go. If you were to stack this, okay, just one, not hundreds, just one quadrillion dollars, it would go from here, actually from Texas, the space station over in Houston, it'd go from there to Venus three times in dollar bills, flat dollar bills. That's just one quadrillion. Stacking these thin things on top of each other. You'd go to Venus three times. Now, we're not talking about one quadrillion. We're talking about one in 400 quadrillion. That's a lot. So what does that look like? Well, one in 400, we're talking 400 times the amount. So 1,200 stacks of ones to Venus. Right? Three times 400. We're talking 1,200 stacks of ones. That's a, lot, that's a lot of dough. That plays a lot of games at the arcade. If you were to travel, so this is how long that, that actually makes it. Well, how tall is that? That would be approximately a billion miles. How long does it take to travel a billion miles? If you traveled 100 miles per hour, I did that on my way to church this morning, uh, 100 miles per hour, guess how long it would take you to drive past all that money? It would take you just over a thousand years, about 100 miles an hour of just driving. Okay, so this is a huge number. The odds of you being born are that, that small compared to that big. Now look around you. That would be multiplied times every single person inside of this room to make this church. That is some big odds being stacked against us being here and heading towards our one-year anniversary. Here's the odds of being born. This is by a famous mathematician. This is, his, this is his study and his quote. He said, He looked at the odds of your parents meeting, given how many men and women there are on earth and how many uh, people of the opposite sex your mother and father would have met in the first 25 years. Then he looked at the chances of them talking, meeting, forming a long-term relationship, having kids together, of the right egg and sperm combining to make you. He goes further back to look at the probability of all of your ancestors, but we didn't go back into that piece, um, but this is just from the parents forward, and it says to make you, and he says, the mathematician's conclusion, this is at the end of his whole study, is that the odds that you exist at all are basically zero. So math mathematically, the odds of you actually being here are like a zero percent, just mathematically. And so we have this huge odds that are stacked against us. But the way that we look at life, has anybody ever played Bunko or played uh, Yahtzee or anything like that? So the way that we look at life, right, we always think in terms of chance, opportunity, those kinds of things. So what we would do is we would take and say, well, life, like God made a church, and he just made it like that. God just took and threw a bunch of stuff out there, and then once that happened, he says, oh, and oh, we need a worship team. Just throws them out there. Is that it's just random. That there's 
not really any reason to it. There's not really a huge design to it. It's just kind of, this happened. Well, you happened to walk into church today, and you happened to go be, you know, drive down Heather Wild and saw a sign, and this person happened to see that, and I happened to run into them at the store and invite them. Everything happened to just happen. But the odds of just you even being born are at 0%. 1 in 400 quadrillion of just you being born. So that tells us right there that the chance that this is all chance is even lower percent than 0. I mean, there's just no way this is chance, which only leaves design. God designed it. The Bible says that God sets the solitary into families that God is at work, that God's designing something, that God is building something. He goes on to say, a miracle is an event so unlikely to be almost impossible. By that definition, I've just shown you that you're a miracle. He said, now go forth and feel and act like the miracle that you are. You being here is a miracle. This church being here is a miracle. What God's doing in people's lives is a miracle. The odds of it just being an accident or chance are completely non-existent. God is at work doing something. So what's he doing? If you go in your bulletins and open up, it says, the first point here is that he designed you for here. And this is the verse out of Jeremiah 1.5. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He's talking to a specific person, and he's saying, before you were even born, I knew you, and I designed you for a specific purpose and a specific job. So it's not even like we're born, and then God says, oh, shoot, looks like a Sean Shetler just popped out. I'll figure out what to do with that guy. Let's see, i got a file over here of things that might work. Let me look through. Well, maybe I can have him do this. No, before Sean was even born, God looked down and said, you know what? At this time, at this point in history, in this place, I need a Sean. And I want to design him this way to fit this particular purpose. And that goes the same for everyone that's here. If you're here, God wants you to hear this. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not a chance. He didn't fumble around and figure you out later. And I don't care what your background is. I don't care if you were almost aborted. I don't care if you were given up for adoption. I don't care if you grew up in the foster system. I don't care if you had a mom or a dad or didn't have either one. You have God, and God knew you before you were born. God designed you. God planned for you. God had a purpose for you. And as a part of that plan and purpose, he put you here today. He's doing something here in the lives of people that he loves and that he made, and he's knitting everything together in order to make something. You know, we made dinner. Me and Krista made dinner. My daughter made dinner the other day. She said, Dad, I'm making dinner. So she bought everything, set it on the counter, and says, now what? <laughs> oh, I don't know. So we ended up making dinner together. But here's the thing. In order to make that dinner, a couple things had to happen. One, we had to know that there was going to be a dinner. Two, we had to know what was for dinner. Three, we had to have all the ingredients. Four, we had to actually take those ingredients and assemble them to make that meal so that it could be available. Okay, in order for this to happen, God had to look down and say, I want to build this church. I want to make this couple. I want to create this family. And in order to do it, I need these ingredients. 
Maybe you're here today and you're married and you think, you know, I married the wrong person. It's a mistake. I shouldn't even be married. Okay? Think about this. God knew that your child was going to be there and he loved them and had a purpose for them before you made them. If that's the case, then God knew that you were going to be married to the person that you're married to. And that's part of going to the store, pulling together the ingredients and saying, this is what, I'm, this is what I want to do. See, God has a reason. He has a plan. He placed you here. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. John 15, 16, it says, you did not choose me. Anybody ever talk about how you found Jesus? Said, oh, hey, when did you find Jesus? Okay, biblically speaking, it doesn't quite work that way. Biblically speaking, Jesus finds you. Okay, listen to this verse. You did not choose me. Well, I did. I, I chose Jesus back in, you know, 1994. I remember it was April 2nd, 1994. I chose Jesus. Not according to this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. God had a plan for you. God had a purpose for you. God wanted to come and die for you. He drew you unto himself. Now, here's the example. Say, well, yeah, I know, but I thought the Bible says seek and you'll find. So let me paint a picture for you. You are lost in the wilderness. You have no way out. You don't know which way's north. You don't know which way's south. There's not a stream running downhill that you can follow. You're just in all woods, totally lost, no direction. You can't see which way the sun is at. You're just lost. And you know you've got to get out. Where do you go? Nowhere. You just sit down. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. So you don't find Jesus when you're lost. But here's how God works it out, is that he comes and looks for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he comes to find you, that he leaves the 99 to find the one, that God is always looking for you. So God comes to find you, and as he's going through the woods, looking for you, trying to draw you to him, he eventually is in your proximity, and he says, Hey, Jim! Come to me. Now Jim wakes up. I hear him. And Jim runs 50 feet over to God and says what? I found him. I found him. But he didn't find him. He heard him, and yeah, he kind of found him. Like a dad playing hide-and-go-seek with the kid. You know, after like 20 minutes of sweating to death in the closet, you finally start rattling the door and making noise. Start coughing a lot, hoping that your kid will find you. <laughs> Fall asleep. Only to find out three hours later, yeah, that your wife had put the kids down for a nap and you just sweated it out in the closet. But this is the idea that God comes so close and so near in looking for us that we finally can hear his voice and he draws us in. And he finds us. He has a purpose. So God finds you and he places you here. So he's designed you for here. He's placed you here. He's equipping you here. Ephesians 4. Starting verse 11, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So that's people like me. Pastors, teachers, evangelists, people that go out and seek and save the lost, and they love people that are hurting and broken. And they say, hey, come find Jesus with us. He's in here. Come over to this spot. And they gather, and then why? They gather, this says, so that they can then equip you for the work of the ministry. 
that God's bringing you in not as a spectator, but that he's designed you for a purpose, so he's bringing you in as a participant, as a team member, not as a water boy, not as just somebody on the sideline that doesn't ever get in the game. He's bringing you in because he wants to put you in the game. He wants you to be a part of the family, a part of the team. He has a desire to use you to grow his family, to extend his kingdom, to set people free from addiction, to restore marriages, to take lives that are broken and shattered and put them back together, to comfort people that are grieving. He wants to use you to bring life, to do what he did when he was here. Jesus said, as the Father sent me in the world, so I send you. He wants to use you to touch the world around you. It goes on in that verse 13, it says, Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, he's talking about all of us, is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows, it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That every person here, that God is pulling us together in order to extend his family, extend his kingdom. So he puts you here to equip you to be a part of it. And sometimes people will attend and they'll be somewhere and they'll say, well, I'm here and I don't even really know if I'm needed. I bet you if I left, no one would know I left. Or I bet you... You know, I don't have much to offer. Uh, people are probably tired of me being here. Or all of these thoughts, I can just tell you right now, those are not from God. Because God's word is saying that everyone has a part, everyone has a piece, that we're joined together in unity to do his work. So this is what God's building, and then he's equipping you here. He's empowering you here. First Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when you came to church. Okay? Who were you before God called you? Now, when we say church, we mean two things. One, yeah, we mean gathering like this on Sunday, but we also mean the Bible talks about ecclesia. It's the called-out ones. It's those that are called out of the woods, called out of the world, called out of being lost, and that they're set apart and gathered together to be his family. And that's the church. So we're the church. There's another church down the street. There's another church down the street. There's another church. There's churches all over the world, but it's these people that have been called into relationship with Christ. And we all make up this body, this church of God. But it says, how many of you, he says, think of, what, of what, where you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Anybody ever feel weak or foolish? Feel like, oh, man, yeah, I just don't quite measure up. Oh, I just don't quite, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, I came to church at 3 a.m. in the back seat of, I always say a friend, but he's actually here now, Josh Jensen's car, the sound guy. The back seat of his car at 3 a.m. in the morning to a pastor's house, knocking on the door. Hey, I got a drunk in the car, and his wife's getting ready to leave him. Well, that's how I came to church. And it got worse before it got better. So if you got in a car and drove here, Congratulations. You have a huge head start on me. A huge head start. Wherever you came from doesn't matter. God has a future for you. God has a purpose and a plan. He's added you to his family. 
You know, we added Kira to our family. We adopted her. That's not now for the rest of her life. It's like Kira's like, well, you were kind of came in at the end, and you didn't come in like the natural way. You kind of came in through adoption. So we have plans, but you're off to the side. You're not really far, part of the regular plan. No, she's a part of our family. You know, the Browns are fostering. They got foster kids coming into their home. How awesome is that? When they come in, it's not going to be, okay, well, you know, be careful. Don't ever call me mom or dad on accident. Don't sit down at our regular dinner table. We got a side table. That's the foster table in the corner. God pulls everyone together. The people that were foolish, the people that were weak, the people that weren't wise, but God says that he uses them to do something great in that passage, and that's what God's doing here. It says in verse 28, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. Have you ever felt despised? God chose you. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, our strength and our power and our ability and what God is doing through us comes through him. It doesn't come because we're good looking enough. It doesn't come because we're smart enough, funny enough. We have enough followers on this app or enough followers on that app or enough likes on this post or whatever the case might be. It's because God chose us and then God empowers us and gives us the ability to do what he wants us to do. Matthew 16, 18, he, he's bringing us victory here. He's bringing you victory here. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. Now, Peter's the guy that denied Jesus three times when Jesus was going to the cross. He said, hey, do you know this guy? He said, I don't know who he is. So a total failure, not just once, but three times over, total failure. And this is what Jesus tells him after he rises from the dead. He says, I tell you, you're Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Romans 8, 29 to 32 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's creating a family. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I'm just going to stop there for a second. That those he predestined, those that he knew before you were born, that he loved you, that he wanted a relationship with you, that he cared about you, and he calls you, and then he justifies you. Well, what does justify mean? Okay, here's a great phrase to remember for justify. Okay, when God justifies you, right, he justified me, so it is just as if I had never sinned. That's justified. Just as if I had never sinned. God makes you right. He gives you right standing with him. You don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about your mistakes. You don't have to worry about your screw-ups. You don't have to worry about... Well, but my family was like this, and now I'm just trying to escape. And if anybody found out about my family, none of that matters. God has cleaned the slate. He started it over for you. He's given you a new hope and a new future and a new destiny and a new purpose than what you had in your mind before. It says, what then shall we say in response to all these things? In verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, the cross is the beginning. It's not the end. It's saying if he gave his own son to die for you, what would he possibly withhold from you? He gave up the most valuable thing that he had. 
You know, if you're a sports fan, it's like the trade where you want to trade for the top player on the team and you've got a deal worked out and then at the end, you know, I mean, they'll throw anything else in just to get it done, right? They'll throw in cash, they'll throw in another player, they'll throw in draft picks because none of that equals what's already been paid. That's what it's talking about. The big price was already paid. Well, he already died for me, but will he give me peace to replace my anxiety? That seems like a little much. I'm just glad I'm going to heaven. No, it's saying he'll give you all things. He already gave you Jesus. Yes, he'll give you peace. Will he forgive me of, of, of the new sin that I did yesterday? Yes, he already gave his son for you. The big thing's already been done. It says he'll give you everything else. So we had to keep that in mind. That gives us the confidence to have victory in the things that God calls us to. You know, we look at this city and we look at, at, a, at a Rosemont and at a Winchester and places where people are needing help and support and needing to hear about the Lord. And when I pray for those, and sometimes I go pray walk those apartments, and when I go there, I'm not thinking, well, God, you already saved me and you already give it, you know, you're building a church, but would you give us some influence at this apartment? I mean, I know it's asking a little bit much. No, God already gave me his son. He already died for me. He already forgave me. I'm going to them saying, God, these are your children too, Lord. We want this apartment. We want the people that are here, God. There's people in addiction. There's people in poverty. There's people that are being abused right inside of these doors. Lord, we want to bring them out and set them free and restore their lives. God, we want more. Well, how can you ask for more? You already have because he already gave us the big thing. I can ask for everything else. It's like when you go to dinner, man. I already took the steak. Think I get seconds on rice? Sure. What happens to the rice later? It's just going to rot in the fridge. <laughs> Once the big thing's been given, man, everything else is free to ask for. And the big thing's been given. He's saying all of it is ours. If we'll just come to him. We don't have to live in shame. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live as secondhand citizens. We are in God's kingdom, paid for by the most valuable thing he has. I've heard before, you know, in, just in business talk and stuff, is that you can tell the value of something not by the price tag on it, but by what someone's willing to give for it. Right? I can put $5,000 on this right here. Donnie, what would you give me for it? How much? $5,000. 10 bucks. That's a deal. I'll take it. Give me 10 bucks for it. I could put a $5,000 sticker on this all day. I could post it online, Facebook Marketplace for 5000 Does that make it worth 5000 No. What's it worth? It's worth what someone will give for it. God gave his son for you. Think about that. What are you worth? You're worth what will be given for you, and God gave his only begotten son for you. And it's the same that he gave for the people that don't know him yet. That's why our mission is so important. That's why what we're doing is so important because there's people out there that are so valuable that God gave up his son for them, that he died for them. And we're just as valuable. He's ready to do even more than you can imagine here at this church, together, us. Check this out. This only 18% of Americans attend a church. Do you have to go to church to go to heaven? No. Okay. 
but by this they'll know you're my disciples that you love one another there's an interaction that happens here there's a connection there's somebody's can't pay their rent because they got hurt in an accident. Somebody else comes along and helps. Somebody can't make a dinner because they got sick and somebody else comes along to help. Somebody's sad because somebody said something to them that hurt their feelings. They need someone to talk to and to tell them that they're okay and that they love them. That's what happens here. So there's people out there that are getting torn down all the time. They're not being built up and encouraged. They're not being loved on. They're not being told about the value that they have in Christ, that God made them, that God knew them before they were born. And that's eight out of every ten people that you walk by. In the United States, we're not a church country anymore. We're not a Christian country anymore. It's the old days. Hey, it's been gone. Check this out. If you took all the people that are not part of a church, the unchurched people of the United States, and you put them all into their own location, and you drew a border around them and put a border patrol on the edge of it and made it a country, just the unchurched people in the United States, you made a country just out of them, they would be the eighth largest country in the world the eighth largest by number. Just behind like China, Indonesia, I mean, there's a few, just a handful of countries. So there's mission work to do. There's mission work to do overseas. There's mission work to do right here. There's mission work to do across the street. There's people all around us that don't have hope. There's people around us that don't have a friend to throw them in the back of their car and drive them to get help. God needs us to be interested enough in their lives that we can see when they need the help and we can become a part of it and we can become that person in their life because they just don't have it. That's why the devil is always trying to distract us with all of our crazy own problems. So much chatter going on, so many things happening that we can't think clear enough to hear our neighbor over here calling out for help we're too busy in here. That's why he promises peace. He wants us to have peace. He wants us to calm down. Why? Just so we can enjoy? No, our enjoyment's coming in heaven. Jesus said in this world we'll have many troubles. So then why do we want peace if we're still going to have trouble? We want peace because when it all calms down, we can hear. We'll all be downstairs having a blast in our living room. Everything's loud. Everything's crazy. And all of a sudden somebody will go, hold on. And then we all say, just turn the radio up, blast it, we don't want to hear it. No, we get up and we go help. Why? Because we had to get everything peaceful, quiet, stop, so we can hear. We have to have peace in our own heart, peace in our own life, peace in our own mind, not just so we can enjoy it, but so that we can hear what God hears. He hears the suffering around us. He hears the people crying out around us. He hears the people that have a, a need for someone to love on them, to care for them, to speak life to them. Ephesians 3, 20, 21, we're talking about he's ready to do more here than we can imagine. Is th Ephesians three twenty? it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power. That's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. Check it out. To him who is able to do immeasurably, quadrillionally, huge, more than what? Then you can even ask or think. Then I can even ask or think. He wants to do more than that. More than you can even imagine. 
Well, I spent all night dreaming. You know what? You haven't even scratched the surface of what God wants to do. Then why is it sometimes when we have a big vision or a big dream from God, we think, well, it's probably too big? I don't know if I'd say that out loud. People think I'm just thinking too big. No, God's thoughts are huge. It's much bigger than that. God wants to do something huge through you. He wants to do something huge through your family. He wants to do something huge through our family here as a church. Because his love is that big, he wants to touch the lives that are all around us every day. So look around. I mean, this last time when we're going to pray, this is not a chance. This is not a happenstance. This is not a coincidence. My mom used to say, a coinkydink. It's not any of that. This is by design because God has a purpose and a plan. There's a mix of ages here. There's a mix of races here. There's a mix of income statuses here. There's a mix of education levels here. There's all kinds of different people in this room. That's pretty cool. There's people with different mental abilities. There's people with different disabilities, quote unquote that God knew they were going to have before they were born, and God was okay with, because God can even use that for his glory. It's part of what he's creating, to do something awesome. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and God, what you're doing, Lord. I pray, God, that we could somehow just grasp, God, just grasp a little bit of what you're trying to accomplish, Lord. Just a little bit of the excitement, just a little bit of the passion, God. Just a little bit of the creativity, Lord, and the joy and the power, God, that you're working with, Lord. There's something awesome that you're trying to do. Lord, help us to come together, Father, as a church, Lord, and to love each other and to, and to serve together, God, and to dream together. To encourage and to build each other up, Father, in a way that releases the gifts that you put in us, God, the abilities you put in us, Father. Lord, that every person could bring what they have to the table and know that, you know, if I tell people about this, that I, I have this idea or this thought or I can bring this, Lord, that they will be valued. God, that what they contribute does matter. Lord, it has an eternal significance, Lord, that you knew that they had that to offer before they got here. God, I pray against all discouragement, against all uh, just negativity, God, anything that's been spoken over anybody's life here. Father, people that have been told that they're unwanted, People that have been told they want to mount to anything, that they were an accident. God, I rebuke that right now in Jesus' name, Lord. There's no accidents in this room. God, you created every person in this room. So, God, we just stand against those lies right now, Father. And specifically, um, and you can keep your heads down if you want, but specifically, I just want to take a second. If you've been spoken to, you're an accident, and that stuck with you in your life. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to bring you forward. I just want to see you because I want to pray with you. If you've been spoken that, somebody said, you know what, you're an accident. You weren't meant to be here. I see those hands. Okay, that's a lie from the devil. That is not true. And if you will let go of that today, you will let God have that. We're going to pray right now that God will just take that out of your heart. That doesn't need to stay there. That doesn't need to remain in your mind, remain in your person. We just remove that. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that everyone in Christ is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. If you don't know Jesus, 
if you're not walking with Jesus right now, so the last thing I'm going to ask you to raise hands for, and you like say, you know, man, I just, I'm hearing that God has a purpose for me. I'm hearing that Christ died for my sins. I'm hearing that I can have a new start. That I can have a purpose and a value to my life. And I'm in, man, I want that. I want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you today, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to bring you forward. I just want to see you. Okay, and I see those. All right, let's pray. This is in your own words. You're going to pray on your own. There's no magic formula. Okay, this I want you to pray. If, if you've been spoken over that you're an accident, that you have no value, I just want you to give that to the Lord. One of the verses we read said, He called those things which are not as though they are. Things that had, look, not just the unwise, the foolish, and the stupid things, the things that were called as though they're not. Like, they don't even exist. Like, you're so low, you're just a not. That he calls them that they are. Boom. He changes the whole narrative. He's going to do that in your life. So I just want you to pray and give that to him and say, Lord, I accept your vision and purpose over my life. I accept that you had a plan for me. Lord, I accept that I am valuable, that I'm not an accident, that you do have a purpose for me. And then if you don't know Jesus, it's very simple. You're just praying and saying, you know, Lord, I'm giving you my life. Now that means he can do whatever he wants with it. It's a big commitment. You do whatever he wants with it. God might call you to change your job. He might call you to change your attitude. He might call you to change your hairstyle. I don't know. But you're giving him everything. Father, we just thank you, God, and I pray that you would, Lord, as each person prays, Lord, in their own words to you, God, that you would bring life. God, bring joy. God, bring fulfillment and purpose and destiny into their heart. God, I pray for us even as a church. Lord, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.